Hello and welcome back to the Jesse James Sports Show, formerly known as the Outlaw Sports Show, presented by Jesse James. We're just going to simplify this and call it the Jesse James Sports Show. This has been one of my first podcasts in months. I had some personal things I had to take care of and just kind of got busy with life and wasn't really able to get onto the podcast thing. I'm not going to lie. haven't been able to watch a whole lot of games this year, but I've been following the news, following the trends, seeing what has been going on. And today is December the 16th. It is a Monday, and we are going to bring you live from my house a personal podcast, my own show which I used to do on 12 Ounce Sports Radio. Shout out to Jeff Beck on 12 Ounce Sports Radio, the scout team. Shout out to my buddies Ian Hall and David Dillavu, um, formerly of the Rehab Sports Guys. And this is just me doing my thing, and we'll see how often we can do this. So we have a big slate for you today. We have coming up the college football playoff. The Heisman winner, Joe Burrow, has been selected and... We also have a slate full of NFL news to get into, including the current playoff picture. But I would like to start off with the Heisman. I was going to start off with the college world playoff, but I'll start off with the Heisman, excuse me, and then go into the college football playoff. So Joe Burrow won the Heisman, and we have the ESPN article pulled up here, and so Burrow finished with the largest margin of victory in Heisman history. 1,846 points separated him from second place Jalen Hurts. Um, And Justin Fields finished third. And Chase Young, the defensive player, I think he's a defensive end, from Ohio State, finished fourth. He received a record 90.7 of all the first place votes and was named on 95.5% of the ballots. So, this has been a crazy year. So, Joe Burrow threw for 48 touchdown passes, 4,715 yards, and led the Tigers to the conference title, beating Alabama, Auburn, Texas, and Georgia in that last game, being in the SEC championship game in Atlanta in the heart of Georgia country. Um, He also won the Maxwell Award, the Davey O'Brien Award, and the Walter Camp Player of of the year award as long as as well as being named the associated press player of the year he is on pace to set a major college record completing 77.9 percent of his passes this season that all is courtesy of espn.com i don't want to give him all the juice but credit is where his credit is due and so his heisman chances this year were 200 to 1 to start the season and so he against top 25 teams he was 143 of 182 for 1827 yards 16 total touchdowns and two interceptions with a 187 passer rating that's ridiculous so Jalen Hurts finished second he was almost a third quarterback in a row until he got blown out by Joe Burrow in the voting and Hurts threw for 3,634 yards with 32 touchdowns and he also rushed with 1,255 yards and 18 more TDs So this dude had 50 total touchdowns, and he also had almost 5,000 yards from scrimmage, but Joe Burrow did it in what many consider to be the toughest conference in the land, and so much well-deserved. Now, Justin Fields is interesting because now Jalen Hurts obviously played at Alabama, transferred after losing his starting job to Tua. Not even going to try to pronounce his last name, the quarterback from Alabama, and So Justin Fields is interesting because he was actually recruited the number one quarterback prospect in his class and then got stuck behind Jake Fromm, transferred this year, and he had, he finished third and he threw for 2,953 yards with 40 touchdown passes and only one interception and added another 10 touchdowns on the ground. Chase Young led the nation with 16.5 sacks and tackles per loss per game. And he's only the fourth defensive lineman to be named the finalist. That would be Washington Steve Ertman, Miami's Warren Sapp, and Nebraska's Adamican Sioux in 2009. And none of the defensive players have ever finished higher than fourth. 
In fact, the last defensive player to win the Heisman would, of course, been Charles Woodson in, I want to say, 1997. And so, congratulations to Joe Burrow. Let's transition. Now, now, mind you, these are four really, really, really good players. I think that Joe Burrow transfers well to the NFL. He's a late bloomer of sorts. He was actually at Ohio State, broke his hand, got stuck behind Dwayne Haskins, kind of had an average year at LSU last year, and then they hired the some guy out of the New Orleans Saints. I can't remember exactly his name. I'm sure you guys will flood the comments and be able to tell me who that was. And so I have, to be honest, I deleted the Twitter app a little while ago, so I'll get that Twitter app back and running, post this on Twitter, and then we will spread this podcast around. Congratulations. So let's move into... Okay, so before I go into the college football playoffs, so the four, the three quarterbacks were obviously the winner, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, formerly of Alabama, and Justin Fields from Ohio State. I do not really consider Fields' game to translate great into the NFL. Now, Hurts, so Hurts, we know, was benched for Jalen. I'm sorry, Jalen Hurts was benched for two, uh, two years ago in the national championship game. Alabama ends up winning the game, and then last year, Tua goes down. Jalen Hurts helps Alabama win the SEC championship against Georgia. Georgia just lives in that game, don't they? And so, congratulations to Jalen Hurts transforming his career. Let's move into the college football playoffs. So, we have Oklahoma against LSU, and we have Ohio State and Clemson. And let me make sure to get those bowl games right for you so we can make sure to let you know exactly what those games are and where you can be able to watch them. And so, those games will be played on Saturday, December the 28th. So, Oklahoma will be playing LSU at 3 p.m. Central Time on ESPN in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And Clemson will be playing Ohio State at 7 o'clock on ESPN in the Fiesta Bowl. Those are the two semi-final games. And then, of course, the winner of that game will then play for the National Championship at 7 o'clock on ESPN on January 13th. Um, I'm trying to figure out... Oh, it'll be at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. And so that'll be the National Championship game. Okay, so everybody assumes that Oklahoma-LSU is going to be a big LSU victory because of Oklahoma's previous past deficiencies on defense, though I think that Oklahoma has a lot to prove in this game. Now, Jalen Hurts has been here before. LSU has not. Now, now LSU as a program has been to BCS games and BCS championship games before, but that's in years past. Oklahoma has been here multiple times with Baker Mayfield and with Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts, I'm, I'm sorry, with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and then Jalen Hurts has been here, of course, with Alabama, who had made the playoff every year until this year. I still think LSU is going to win. I am going to go look at that spread, so let me go back to that. LSU is a 13-point favorite in this game. Now, I think that if LSU gets out hot, that... Their defense... Now, don't get me wrong. LSU's defense has had its problems. I mean, they gave up big plays to Ole Miss. It's like 600-plus yards of offense. And they've also gave up a lot of points. Alabama, which no shame that Alabama had a great offense this year. I still think LSU wins. But do not expect Oklahoma to go away quietly. I just They have not performed well in these playoff games, even though the defense has improved. Clemson-Ohio State is the bigger game to me in this spot because Ohio State was being touted by many, <clears throat> by Joe Klatt, as possibly being one of the best um, Ohio State teams of all time. So let's go through Ohio State season. They gave up 21 points to Florida Atlantic, 45-21. to Then they beat Cincinnati 42-0. to They destroyed Indiana, destroyed Miami over Ohio, destroyed Nebraska, Beat Michigan State by 24. They destroyed Northwestern. They beat Wisconsin 38-7. They destroyed Maryland. 
They destroyed Rutgers. Then they beat Penn State by 11. And now, mind you, they were up 21 to nothing in that game, and it got to 21-17 before, in the fourth quarter, Ohio State scored another touchdown and held on the win. Then, of course, they beat Michigan by almost 30 points, and then they struggled against Wisconsin. So Clemson will be the team that people was like, oh, they didn't play anybody. They beat Georgia Tech by 38. They beat A&M by Texas A&M by 14. They beat Syracuse 41 to 6. They beat Charlotte 52 to 10. Okay, they only beat North Carolina 21 to 10. Look at here. They beat Florida State by 31. They beat Louisville by 35. They beat Boston College by 52. Wofford, of course, we don't even care how much they beat them by. They beat at the time ranked North Carolina State by 45. They beat Wake Forest, who was ranked at one point this season by 51. They beat South Carolina by 35, and then they absolutely put the beat down on Virginia. So here's the thing. This matchup to me is very, very interesting because... So Clemson averages 46.5 points per game. Ohio State averages 48.7. Clemson only gave up 10.6 points per game this year. So say what you want about the competition. They absolutely shut their opponents down. Ohio State's only given up 12.5. They're both averaging well over 500 yards of offense a game. And they're both only giving up about 245 yards of offense a game. I just think that Clemson is being overlooked. And to me, so we were talking about the Heisman earlier. This is the point that I wanted to make. I think that the best quarterback in the college football playoff is Trevor Lawrence. I know he didn't always play it, but the throws that I have seen him make are usually in tight windows, throwing it to where only his receiver can get it. I think he's the most pro-ready quarterback of them all. I just I just think that Trevor Lawrence is a different player. Now, let's he's six foot six, maybe even six seven, two twenty. I don't know how well that height translates, but he's still through for 3,100 yards, 34 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions. And that's having a bad year for him. He probably would have been the 5th candidate if they're allowed to be 5th. Maybe J.K. Dobbins, Dobbins, the running back from Ohio State. And then Jonathan Taylor, the running back out of Wisconsin, who had a monster year. Let's look at the running backs. Travis Etienne, who's a junior this year, probably should go to the draft. 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns, averaged 5.6 yards a carry. On the other hand, J.K. Dobbins had 1,829 yards and 20 touchdowns and averaged 6.5 yards a carry. So these are both dominant running backs. Oh, and by the way, J.K. Dobbins scored 10 touchdowns and averaged 6 point yards a carry against ranked opponents. And... I just, this is going to be a game where I just think that Clemson has, both these teams are extremely talented, but Dabo's been there before, Ryan Day has not, now obviously he was under Urban Meyer, I still, Clemson's favored by two, I think Clemson's going to win the national championship, that's my pick, I'm going to pick LSU to beat Oklahoma probably by 13, I think Oklahoma will score some points in garbage time to make it close. But I just think that LSU will pull away early and then hold on when Oklahoma starts spreading them out. I think that Clemson will beat Ohio State. I think it'll be a good game. But Clemson has been in one of these close games against North Carolina. Now, I know that Ohio State proved themselves against Wisconsin, but that team showed that they were able to adjust, and they jumped out to an early 21-7 lead, and Ohio State's athletes took over the game. So we will take a quick break, and after this, we will be back with the NFL playoff picture. This has been the Jesse James Sports Show. We will be right back after this. Welcome back. This is the Jesse James Sports Show, presented by nobody because I am not currently on a radio station or anything, so this is just me doing my thing. So we just got done talking about the college football playoff and the Heisman Gave you some picks, so now we will transition into the NFL. If you hear a train going by, that's because I live by some train tracks, and that's just kind of what happens. So, the NFL Week 15 is in the books. We have two weeks left, and the playoff picture is starting to take form. 
Now, obviously, it's a Monday night, so there is the New Orleans and Indianapolis Colts game tonight. Sorry, I forgot exactly who was playing tonight. And, yes, so it'll be the Colts at the Saints, and I'm pretty sure that the Saints will win that pretty handily, but crazier things have happened in the NFL. So let's go to the playoff picture. Let's start off with the AFC. So in the AFC, the top... Okay, so in the AFC, Baltimore is currently in first at 12-2, with New England behind them at 11-3 and and Kansas City at 10-4. Houston is currently sitting in the fourth spot as the current division lead holder in the AFC South at 9-5. Buffalo has clinched a playoff spot in the fifth seed at 10-4, and and Pittsburgh is sitting in the sixth spot at 8-6, with Tennessee also being 8-6, and and... I think the Indianapolis Colts have an outside chance at 6-7 and seven if they win tonight, win their next two games. Pittsburgh holds, holds a tiebreaker over Tennessee because of their record in conference games. Pittsburgh is 6-4, and four, Tennessee is 6-5. and five. Who does Tennessee play this week? So I think they only have one more conference game. Yes, they play the Saints next week. Ooh, that's not good. So Pittsburgh will play two more conference games against the Jets. They will be at the Jets and then at the Ravens to close out the season. And so Baltimore wins on Sunday, then they will clinch the number one overall seed. If New England wins, they will clinch their division. If Kansas City's already clinched their division because the rest of their division is garbage. And so this is very interesting because basically if Pittsburgh was to win against the Jets and the Titans lose, then they're in. They win. Well, they'll be tied. We'll leave that alone. So Pittsburgh wins out, they're in. If Tennessee wins out, they need Pittsburgh to lose one of the last two games. But the thought around the league is that if Pittsburgh and Baltimore play Week 17 and the Ravens have home field locked up that they will probably rest a lot of their starters, including Lamar Jackson, who will probably have already cemented his status as the NFL MVP. So I think that New England, by virtue of a bad division and a really hot start and an all-time great defense to begin the year, is looking kind of shaky. Their offense has not been what it has been in years past. Baltimore looks like a juggernaut. The Chiefs' defense has really stepped up, causing a lot of turnovers. Let's actually go to their last game. And so they just got done beating the Broncos 23-3. Pumped the brakes on the Derek Locke being the quarterback of the future. Not saying he is or he isn't, but everyone's like, oh, they found their quarterback. Well, let's go to the team stats real quick and... There was only one turnover in that game. But uh, Kansas City's defense has been a lot better than it has been in years past. They're creating more turnovers. Um, Let's see. They have guys. They they really don't sack the quarterback that much. Um, So they've had 39 sacks this year, which I guess isn't too terrible. Um, Interceptions. They've had 14 interceptions for 135 yards. That's pretty good for a defense that relies on turnovers because they used to not be able to guard a soul. The AFC is just very interesting in this note. I think that, I mean, obviously, so Baltimore, New England, Kansas City, and Buffalo have clinched. Um, If Houston wins, they'll clinch. If Houston wins and the Titans lose to the Saints, and let's see who does Houston play this week. So Houston will be playing the Buccaneers. So if they beat the Buccaneers and the Titans lose and Pittsburgh wins and Pittsburgh clinches, and I think the Titans will be done by virtue of not being able to catch the Steelers. They'll be two games behind. So Tennessee needs to win out because if they lose, they fall a game behind Pittsburgh. And I'm not even actually quite sure if they're out of it. But I think that's very interesting. So Baltimore looks like the team to beat. Um, I don't think New England's going to go very far in the playoffs. Kansas City, situationally, let's see what they do in January. I think Houston, because as of right now, Houston would host Pittsburgh, and that that would be interesting because I think if Pittsburgh has a chance because if they shut down Deshaun Watson, I think they have the better coach. If 
Buffalo stays in that fifth seed, then they'll play. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was wrong about that. Kansas City would play Pittsburgh. I would absolutely take Kansas City in that game, despite their woes against Pittsburgh in the past. Houston would play Buffalo at Houston. That would be a game I would probably take Buffalo in. And then, of course, you would have Baltimore and New England with the buys. I think New England's schedule shapes up that they'll still get a first-round buy. Let's jump over to the NFC. And this is a doozy, and I'm not going to get in the tiebreakers because there's so many. So as of right now, Seattle is sitting in first at 11-3. Green Bay second at 11-3. And, and of course, the tiebreaker is head-to-head win percentage in comma games. New Orleans can go to 11-3 if they beat. Um, if they win tonight, they'd still be behind because of conference schedule. So they'll be the third seed, but they've clinched their division. Dallas is sitting at 7-7. Seven and seven. We'll get to them in a minute. San Francisco is sitting at 11-3. and three. Um, But they've got a very strong conference record also. But they, I think, are sitting behind Seattle. They're sitting behind Seattle by virtue of the head-to-head matchup. And so Minnesota is sitting in the sixth spot at 10-4. and 10-4, and four, and you're sitting in the sixth spot. Tough break for them. But, I mean, they're 7-3 and three in the conference. I mean, these teams are all really, really good. And then, of course, the Rams would have to win out and Minnesota would have to lose out because they're 8-6. and six. So, barring a miracle or a collapse by the Vikings and the Rams being better than they have been all year, it looks like the playoff picture is set, except for Philadelphia sitting there at 7-7. Seven and seven. If Dallas beats Philadelphia in Philadelphia this weekend, Dallas clinches. It's over virtue of conference record. They would have swept the season series. They win. If Philadelphia beats Dallas and then Dallas beats Washington and Philadelphia loses to the Giants, I think somehow Dallas would still win on some crazy tiebreaker. The NFC is crazy because I don't think there's a dominant team. I know the Colin Cowherds of the world have been touting San Francisco, and I think San Francisco has a very good coach. I think they have an overrated quarterback, but that's not bad. I'm not saying that he's not good. I just think that he's... We give guys nicknames way too quickly in this league. Jimmy G, Jimmy G, Jimmy G, because he went on a date with a porn star. And so I don't think he's been bad. I don't think he's been as good as advertised. I don't think he's Mitch Trubisky. I think he's better than Kirk Cousins because I think that I can point to games where he's played better in prime time. And also, we've still not had... This is our first full season of Jimmy G, so I'm going to give him a chance. I'm not judging his whole career on this, just this season. Pete Carroll and Seattle are tough. I just think their lack of weapons, and also Josh Gordon's suspension. I know he wasn't a huge part of their offense, but Josh Gordon being suspended for PEDs slash substance abuse, we haven't really got a lot of information on that that was breaking news earlier today but Josh Gordon has played five games and he had seven receptions for 139 yards and no touchdowns in five games and I don't know I think that's five games with Seattle that could be five games overall let me look him up real quick and so no 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 no. he he, he oh that's career stats okay um It'd be really nice if they would just give season stats. Um, okay, yeah, so he, he played six games with New England, and he had 20 receptions for 287 yards and one touchdown. So, yes, he's had seven receptions in 139 games. So he's pretty much been a non-factor, though he provides a deep threat. And so Green Bay, I just I don't see it with this team. The defense started out really good, and Rodgers has been, I mean, I guess good, okay. We can go look at the numbers, but he hasn't really dominated the way that he has in the past, but they're having a really good year, and that's something you want with the new head coach. Aaron Rodgers, his 63% of his passes completed for 3,463 yards, 24 touchdowns, and two interceptions. He's been sacked 32 times. QBR of 55.8, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. And so, and in New Orleans, I mean, Drew Brees was hurt. I mean, but we can still, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater did an amazing job. I wish I would have been here more to talk about all this. Now, obviously, he's only got 2,100 yards because he missed a couple of games. I mean, he missed 
He played eight games. Teddy Bridgewater just played seven. So I guess Drew Brees started eight and Bridgewater started six or five. I don't really know exactly who started what because... But 17 and four, I mean, yeah, so Drew Brees is fine. Um, obviously, their rushing attack has not been what it's been. But, I mean, they got 612 yards from Kamara and then 533 from Latavius Murray. So they've kind of split it. Um, split the carries this year. Michael Thomas is having another ridiculous receiving year. And so I think that the NFL is wide open this year. And I think it's one of those years there's not a clear-cut favorite in either conference. If I had a guess, Baltimore-Seattle seems pretty good. Baltimore, I, I mean, I, I could make an argument for Baltimore, Kansas City, Seattle, San Francisco, and New Orleans all making an appearance in the Super Bowl. I don't. Now, I'm not going to count out New England. I mean, they can make a playoff run. Obviously, Brady has six rings. He's been the nine Super Bowls. I mean, blah, 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 blah. We've been here, done that before with this team. And so I think it's incredible that we don't really have just juggernauts everywhere. But the NFC is so stacked. They could beat each other up and then have nothing left for the Super Bowl. I don't think that either the Cowboys or the Eagles can make a run. I think Dallas should win, which means they'll probably lose on Sunday because that's what they tend to do. And, of course, you've got the questions about the head coach. But, of course, if Jason Garrett wins the division and wins two playoff games and goes to the NFC Championship game, then Jerry Jones is going to be like, look, we're so close. And we're just going to have another saga of hand-clapping, butt-slapping Jason Garrett coaching the Dallas Cowboys and driving their fans crazy, which would make me none more the happy. I would be so happy to see Cowboys fans be frustrated for the rest of time for the whole we put the hole in the stadium so God can look down on his team and America's team and blah, 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 blah. Jerry Jones is a hype machine. The Cowboys have talent, but I mean, I just don't trust them to win when it matters. So, and then let's just take this time to laugh at the Cleveland Browns because they are now sitting at 6-8 and eight with two games left. They just lost to Arizona. They had a chance a couple weeks ago to creep back into the playoff picture. And then Miles Garrett hits Mason Rudolph in the head with a helmet. To be fair, I'm sure many other players have wanted to hit Mason Rudolph in the head with a helmet. But then your season's in a tailspin. Your quarterback's cocky and doesn't know when and when not to shut up. Or when and when not to shut up. And then your coach is probably going to get fired after a year. And... My, now you have Jarvis Landry blowing up on the sideline. You have Odell Beckham wanting out and Baker Mayfield and the Miles Garrett situation. And so, yeah, I try to tell all you Browns fans back when I was on the radio to pump the brakes on this season and how the Browns were just going to go run off and win the Super Bowl. And they're not even going to make the playoffs, guys. So that's been the NFL season so far. I think that it's going to be an incredible playoff run, and we will be back on Monday to talk about that. So after another quick break, we will dive into the NBA, give you some thoughts on that, and then we will wrap the show up. So this has been the Jesse James Show. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Jesse James Sports Show. As I'm calling it now, I might change the name. Who knows, because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. By the way, um, you will be able to find this on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever podcast app you listen to because I am using Anchor. And Anchor is an app that will distribute, I almost said display, we can distribute your podcast to many different podcast networks. That's a free promo for Anchor. And yeah, so we want to switch gears to the NBA real quick because we are over a quarter of the way through the season. And what a season it has been. So if you ever listened to my show before, you know that I'm from Akron, Ohio, and I'm a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, and I'm born in the same city as LeBron James. And I think that he has an argument to be the best player of all time, though at this point I would still take Michael Jordan. And for all you people who think that I don't like Michael Jordan, I was wearing Jordans to work today. So there's that little bit of information. And so we're going to go by the standings real quick. And then we're going to hit some hot button topics. And so here we go. So in the Eastern Conference, 
Milwaukee is currently on an 18-game winning streak with a 13.6-point differential at 24-3. and And they are also 13-1 and at home, which is the best record in the NBA, except for Philadelphia's 14. Now, we'll get to that, though. Miami is second at 19-7. Philadelphia is third at 20-8. Boston 17-7. Toronto 17-8. Indiana 18-9. Brooklyn, mostly without Kyrie Irving and all the way without Kevin Durant, is 14-12. And, and Orlando, once again, is sitting in the 8th spot at 12-14. Right outside the playoff mix would be Detroit at 11-15, Charlotte at 12-17, and, and Chicago at 10-18. Behind them, not going to name the records, Washington, Cleveland, Atlanta, New York. Those teams have no shot. Bradley Beal is out here balling by himself. Cleveland is young and rebuilding. Atlanta is disappointing with Trey Young. And the Knicks obviously have already fired their coach, David Fisdale. I think the Knicks are dumb. That's all I'm going to say about the Knicks and David Fisdale. It's like he just keeps getting raw deals. He needs to go coach somewhere where they're going to let him build something and have time to implement his culture and his system. And shout out to David Fisdale. In the Western Conference, you have the Los Angeles LeBron. I mean, excuse me, the Los Angeles Lakers at 24 and 3, who were 14 and away on the road. That one loss being in their own building to the Los Angeles Clippers on opening night. And so they're 14 and 0 away from Staples, and they've won seven in a row, and they've got a 9.4 differential. And behind them are the Clippers at 20 and 8. Dallas is third with 17 and 8. Luka Doncic is out for two weeks. That means they will probably fall back to the pack as he has single-handedly carried them. Denver is 17 and 8. Houston is 17 and 9. Utah is 15 and 11. Sacramento is 12 and 14. Oklahoma City is 11 and 14. And Phoenix is sitting in the ninth spot right behind them at 11 and 14. So they're tied. Minnesota's 10 and 15. San Antonio's 10 and 15. Portland's 10 and 16. And I'll go ahead and throw Memphis at 9 and 17 because they're still right there. New Orleans is 6 and 21. They're out of it. Golden State without Steph and Clay are 5 and 23. Okay, they've been in the last five NBA finals. They've won three of them and they're 5 and 23. This is what happens when you are unable to build depth. And I don't think this is anything bad about Steve Kerr. They have dudes on that team I've never even heard of. So. Let's go to the teams a quarter of the way through the season that I think are contenders in each conference, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. So obviously the Milwaukee Bucks are a legitimate contender. Giannis, despite what ESPN and Fox may tell you, listen, he's the reigning MVP, and he is balling out of control, okay? I mean, Giannis is averaging... (laughs) In only 31 minutes a game, he's averaging 31, basically 13 rebounds, 5.3 assists, and he's got a PER of 34.25. I mean, he has absolutely been a monster. I think he had some ridiculous streak of double-doubles. It He didn't get it against the Cavs, but he only played 24 minutes. Middleton is... Oh, let me go back. Middleton's averaging 18. Bledsoe is averaging 15. And then there's, they've got... So they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight dudes averaging over seven points a game. They have Wesley Matthews, Ilya Sova, DaVincio, George Hill, Brooke Lopez. Yes. So they're obviously they've won 18 games in a row. No one seems to be talking about it. That's fine. Miami is a really surprising team with the shooting of Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, once he got into the lineup, has been the steadying force of that team. And, of course, we know that Pat Riley runs South Beach, that Eric Spolster can coach. So I think that that is a very, very interesting team in South Beach. A team that has been slightly disappointing and up and down to me has been Philadelphia. And this is what is going to get Brett Brown fired. Now, obviously, he was there when the process started. And Embiid had one of those games where he didn't score a point. And I think they really missed the toughness of Jimmy Butler and Al Horford. I'm... I'm assuming he... Now, mind you, I don't get to watch a lot of these games. I don't get to do this for a living, so I actually have a job. But... And so, Joel Embiid's averaging 22 and 12, which is which is good. His PER is 24. Tobias Harris is averaging 19. Jason... Is that Josh? No, Josh Richardson. Yeah, Jason been out the league. Josh Richardson is averaging 14. Ben Simmons is averaging 14 and 8. He's like third or fourth in the league in assists. Al Horford's averaging 13 and 7. But I really think they miss shooting. 
like I know Al Horford um and this doesn't really give me the three-point shooting percentages so that's fine Boston's a team that I think is going to be sneaky good because now they're okay so they had Kyrie Irving last year and the year before that and we all know how that ended if you've been living under a rock Kyrie is a really 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 stupidly athletically mega talented guy who doesn't seem to get along too well and whose style does not seem to be conducive to winning and so Kemba's averaging 23 Tatum 20 Jalen Brown 19 Gordon Hayward's averaging 17 and then Marcus Smart 11 and they're just that team just looks so deep this is the kind of team that Brad Stevens a coach what if he can't uh, coach superstars well Think about Larry Brown. Was Larry Brown that great with superstars, or when did he? When was he at his greatest? He had one superstar with a bunch of dudes around him, and Allen Iverson of Philadelphia, and they beat the Lakers in Game One of the Finals. And then he was the coach of the 2004 Pistons that shocked the LA Lakers when they when the Pistons had Tayshawn Prince, Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Chauncey Billups, and. The guy from Connecticut. Why am I? I, I want to say Ben Gordon, but that's not the guy. Oh, Rip Hamilton. And so that was a really good team. I think Antonio McDice may have came off the bench. He may have been later than that. Doesn't really matter. So that's kind of how I see the East shaping out. Toronto's been interesting. Siakam's coming to his own. I just I think they're a first round out. Indiana is eighteen and nine without Victor Oladipo. Malcolm Brogdon has been a really good pickup for them. They're always tough. Nate McMillan does not get enough credit for how well he's coached that team. I don't care about anybody else in the East. None of those teams have a shot at a conference finals appearance. Brooklyn, even when Kyrie comes back, we will talk about them next year when Durant's back or when Kyrie says something dumb on social media or he is misunderstood on social media or we just don't get Kyrie. We'll talk about him then. So let's go to the West. The Lakers are 24-3, and three, and their three losses have been to the Miami Heat. No, I'm sorry, the Toronto Raptors, really good team. The Clippers on opening night, LeBron was too passive. And they lost to the Dallas Mavericks when they decided they were going to blitz Luka Doncic in the first half and then just lay off him in the second half. And, okay, so they've lost three games. The Lakers are stupid good. This LeBron-Anthony Davis thing is really working, and I'll tell you why. LeBron's playing defense, y'all. Have y'all been noticing that? LeBron is playing defense, and they're already building a lead, and they have not load-managed at all. I think Anthony Davis has missed one game, yes. They've played 27 games. He's missed one. He and LeBron are both averaging 34.7 minutes a game. Anthony Davis, 27 a game. LeBron, 26 a game. LeBron's leading the league in assists at 10.7. Anthony Davis has 9.3 rebounds and 2.6 blocks. Anthony Davis' PER is 29. LeBron's is 27. All right, now this is going to be their issue. They have to find a consistent third person. But they're starting to shoot the three ball well. So Kyle Kuzma, who's you know coming off the ankle injury with Team USA, and then you have Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Anthony Bradley missed time. Danny Green has played all games. He's been up and down. That's what I worry about. Rayshon Rondo is averaging 8 points and 5.7 assists. JaVel McGee and Dwight Howard, they're just, they block, they defend. I really like this team. I would like to see Kuzma become that third guy and Danny Green to shoot more consistently. Rondo's a great point guard off the bench. He and LeBron play very well together, even though people didn't think they would. I know you need shooters, but we got Caruso. Or how do you say Caruso. Caruso's been shooting well off the bench. You got and, and there is championship pedigree all over this roster. LeBron James, NBA champion three times. You have Danny Green, NBA champion with uh, NBA champion with the Spurs. Rajon Rondo, champion with the Celtics. JaVel McGee, champion with the Warriors. Dwight Howard has been to a finals. Quinn Cook, champion with the Warriors. And they might even still get Andre Iguodala. Enough about the Lakers. I just think that they have done this the right way. And all this talk about Frank Vogel possibly getting fired because he won't be able... This team really responds to him and plays defense. And you know LeBron is engaged when he mentions the coaching staff interviews where the coaches put us in a good position. We followed the coach's game plan. He did it late with Spo. He did it with Ty Lue. He never did it with any other coach. He never talked about Mike Brown putting him in good spots to win. He never said it about David Blatt. And he damn sure excuse my French, never said it about Luke Walton. I think they're having fun. I think the Lakers are phenomenal. Let's get to the Clippers. 
I really think this load management thing is going to bite him in the butt. Now, they have all the potential in the world to be the best team in the NBA and to win the championship. Now, mind you, Paul George has played 17 games. They've played 28. Kawhi Leonard has played 20 games. He's already missed 8 games. Now, Kawhi's averaging 25, Paul George averaging 24, Lou Williams is averaging 19, and Montrez Harrell is averaging 19. That will get it done. They have three, they have four guys with PERs in the 20s. But the stats don't really tell the story to me. Because the Clippers are already four and a half games back, and that's with a win over the Lakers. And I just think that who on that team is going to guard Anthony Davis? Now, they're going to throw a bunch of bodies at him. And Kawhi, who, who's, is Kawhi going to shut down LeBron for an entire series? Because if they do, they're going to dump it off to AD, spread the floor, and shoot. I think the Clippers are very, very, very good. Do not get me wrong. But if they load manage this thing too much and end up with the third, fourth, fifth seed. Now, to be clear, I do not think the West is nearly as deep as it has been in years past. I think some of the teams have fallen off, and I think some of these teams are in real trouble. Dallas is 17-8. and eight. They have two real consistent players. And really, they only have one in Luka. Kristaps Porzingis, if you just look at... He just has not been Kristaps Porzingis. Maybe that changes. Maybe he finds himself now that Luka's out. Luka's an MVP candidate. I mean, he's he's played like one. He's in that conversation. You have LeBron. You have Giannis. You have Paul George. Can Paul George may find his way in there, but right now it's not in any particular order. It's LeBron. It's Giannis. It's James Harden. And it's Luka Doncic. For... For, for the MVP. Kawhi can't be that. He's not going to be the best team in his building. He's not going to play enough games. And so, to me, Anthony Davis might sneak up in there. And then you might, I mean, if Joel Embiid goes on a tear, but I mean, really the MVP is already kind of a three-person race between, and, and I think this stretch of Luka being out is going to hurt him a little bit, but he's putting up stupid numbers at 20. Number four in the West is Denver. Jokic does not look right. I just don't. Denver's one of those teams that looks like they're really good and they can win a lot of games. And then the postseason comes and it's like, eh, we just kind of are what we thought we were. You're just kind of like the Oklahoma City Thunder with Westbrook and no Durant. You're just kind of one of those. It's kind of like the Mavericks those years, all those years they were losing the second round. Or, you know, the Suns would get to the conference finals, but they'd always find a way to lose. And Jokic is supposed to be a superstar, but he doesn't act like a superstar. And then their other guys are really good, but that like who's the guy that's going to take over the game? They have really nice players. Uh, Jamal Murray. I'm going to go to their, if my phone doesn't screw me real quick, I'm going to go to their stats for the year. I'm not going to name off stats. But they have Jokic, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, Mason Plumlee, Mark, uh, is that Markeith Morris? They, they, I can never remember what team, which one of those. Yeah, because Marcus Morris is on that other team. And so, uh, yeah, and so I, I think they're a nice team. I don't think they're a great team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I don't really give Denver a shot. I mean, I, I think there will be an interesting, tough playoff team. And we're trying to get back to the standings real quick because my phone is ridiculous. Maybe I should get an iPhone. Everyone's telling me I should get an iPhone. Um, okay, we got it back pulled up. Um, Houston at 17-9. and And this is the team that I really am confused by because you got rid of Chris Paul. You have Russell Westbrook. And on paper, the numbers look good. But James Harden shoots the ball all the time. Like, I just feel like what makes Russell Westbrook special is not what makes James Harden special. I just don't. And people say their games don't match. And yeah, he's scoring 50. But he's averaging 39 points a game. That's ridiculous. And Russell Westbrook's averaging 22, 6. I'm sorry, 26, 8, and 7. That's eight rebounds, seven assists. But he, his PER is only 18. James Harden's is 32. But he sh- he's, he's shooting very low from the field. He's taking a bunch of shots. He's going to wear down. And this Mike D'Antoni thing, I mean, and I'm saying everything the other analysts are saying. Like, yeah, James Harden's the greatest scorer since Michael Jordan. Cool, Michael Jordan didn't win championships averaging 33 and above. It's when he had to have his other teammates involved. Yeah, he played hard all the time, but... This James, and I hate watching James Harden play basketball. Like, yeah, he can score. It. I mean, there's like free throw, free throw, free throw. Like, like they're going to have to create a rule to where he can't go the free throw line anymore because every time he doesn't score, it's a free throw. Um, 
Eric Gordon's been out for a lot of the year. He's missed 17 games. And so, and Ben McLemore has been nice for them. P.J. Tucker is P.J. Tucker. Austin Rivers is Austin Rivers. The rest of that bench is a bunch of dudes who aren't really going to be main factors in the playoffs. Utah, disappointing. Um, Michael Conley has been terrible for them. Um, Rudy Gobert is Rudy Gobert. I mean, he's going to be top two, three defensive player of the year. Donovan Mitchell still takes bad shots. He's really stupid talented. I watch him, like, hop in the lane and jump up straight and dunk the ball in, in traffic. I thought that was dope. But, I mean, Utah's very well coached. I mean, they're going to be a tough out. But, like, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, Minnesota, San Antonio, Portland. I mean, it's nice that Carmelo's back in the league. He gives them excitement. He doesn't make them better. And, and, and here's my question. If Kevin Love goes to the Trailblazers, why is everyone acting like that's a move that's going to propel them over the top? So, I'm going to go to their roster real quick because I think they're interesting because I keep seeing... And and now listen, I'm a Cavaliers fan. I love Kevin Love. Kevin Love's going to give you effort and grit and he's a good third wheel if you've got two other really, really, really good players that aren't both guards and CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard. But Dame Lillard hasn't been himself this year. I mean, he's still... He still balls, but I mean, he's averaging. I mean, he's averaging 26 points a game. I don't even see where that 26 come from. Looking, but I mean, like I said, I need to watch some more of these games. CJ's averaging 21, Carmelo's averaging 16, and Hassan Whiteside's averaging 16. Rodney Hood's probably out for the year, and then they have just a bunch of guys. Um, so, and then they have this the shy Labissier, whatever that guy's name is, and oh, Zach Collins has been out. So when Zach Collins comes back and you get Kevin Love, where is Kevin Love going to play? Like, is he going to come off the bench? When When's the last time that happened? So are you going to really start Dame at the point, CJ at the three, Carmelo, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dame at the one, CJ at the two, Carmelo at the three, Kevin Love at the four, and Hassan Whiteside at the five? Now, that, that that's actually, I take that back, that's an intriguing lineup, except for the fact that you have two subpar defenders at the forward spot in your lineup, and Dame Lillard's not known as a great defender either, so that team better light it up from three. I just, I think that Kevin Love, and this is going to sound crazy because Chris Stapps isn't your traditional big seven-footer, but I think Kevin Love in Dallas makes sense. I think if San Antonio were to go on a little run, I think Kevin Love is perfect for Greg Popovich. I think that, what other team could use Kevin Love? Houston doesn't, I mean, does he really want to go there and watch James Harden shoot 34 times a game? Boston doesn't need him. Philadelphia doesn't need him. Miami, Jimmy Butler kind of, I mean, I'm going to go to Miami. Miami's kind of interesting. I'm going to go to Miami and see what I would think about Kevin Love potentially with them. So Jimmy Butler plays small forward. They've got a bunch of small forwards and power forwards. And, ooh, I don't know. Kelly Olenek plays for them. I forgot. He ripped... Kevin loves arm of his socket. That's probably a no-go. So I guess I guess by default now, what about Kevin Love in Milwaukee? Now, I don't know. If, I mean, obviously they don't need him, right? I mean, he's a power forward. They've already got Brooke Lopez to kind of fill that role, and he's taller. I just – Kevin Love, for me to be on a winning team and maybe get into the playoffs would be nice. I just don't see where he fits on any other team. I mean, Portland's interesting. I think Dallas is the move, but what's Dallas going to give Cleveland? Expiring contracts? Are they going to give up Seth Curry? Are they going to give up Finney? Are they going to give up Dwight Powell? I mean, what is Dallas really going to give up for Kevin Love? And I think Kevin Love's interesting. I really do. And I think Andre Iguodala makes a lot of sense on any team. Andre Iguodala on the Clippers. Okay, I'll put it to you this way. If Andre Iguodala signs with the Clippers, they're my new favorite. Just because that guy is a champion. He was so important to those Warriors teams in the locker room, in the press conferences, on defense. I mean, being able, being a small forward that can handle the ball. I know he's not what he used to be, but Andre Iguodala is a winner on any team. I would take him any day of the week. And so, I just think that, in conclusion, we've had a really good year in sports. Oh, yeah, by the way, shout out to Tiger Woods, who just led the President's Cup American team to a victory again. But being the captain, I think this means a lot for Tiger's legacy. I think that 
This is a great look for Tiger Woods. I think that this shows that he's more than just a golfer. And I think a lot of people were happy to see Tiger actually be a deciding factor in that, helping them win. Throwing a little shade at the guy that said that he wanted Tiger, and then Tiger went out there and dominated him. And so I think it's very interesting. I'm not getting into college basketball. It's way too early. Um, college football, we talked, we talked enough about that, about the Heisman. And so I think that we're heading to a very, very good NFL playoff. I think we're heading to an excellent college football playoff. And I think once the NBA sorts itself out through the next month and a half, I think we'll have a better picture. Baseball's going nuts. Everyone's throwing money out. The teams that are spending money are throwing money out the window. And the teams that aren't spending money are basically like taking their money and putting it in a box and burying it and being like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, I have like one or two really, really valuable things. And I'm just going to give them away for you for free. <clears throat> Corey Kluber from the Indians, if they do it to Lindor. And that's the thing about baseball. It's just you have a bunch of teams. You have a couple of teams that are willing to spend the money. You have a couple of surprise teams. But nothing lasts. It's like, oh, that guy was bad for one year. Let's trade him for all the prospects. And then some of those prospects materialize and some of them don't. That's my little baseball rant for the moment. Um, incredible World Series. Congratulations to the Nationals. I know I'm late on a lot of this. But I haven't been on air for a long time. So this has been an episode of the Jesse James Sports Show. We will try to do this at least once a week. Hopefully three times a week. Probably never five times a week. Because that's a lot of material to cover. Um, I didn't get into what I think about Antonio Brown. He's a nut. He needs help. Um, and... I don't think there's any, I mean, obviously we could sit here and ramble on about the Tom Brady decline and all that, but I mean, he's 42, and let me just go ahead and say, count that man out in the postseason if you want to, and if he wins his seventh ring this year, then we have to stop giving up on Tom Brady. Um, shout out to anyone who listens to this podcast. This has been the Jesse James Show, and I will catch y'all on the flip side.